I just want to uh, first turn down the volume of my phone. And then I just want to thank the Lord for his presence. Lord, we want to thank you that from the beginning of this church, you, your presence has always been so prevalent. And, uh, you know, I don't think we really understand the value of it, the depth that we could or should. So, the best of our ability, we just want to say thank you. Moses said that if you did not go with them into the promised land and you just sent your angel and they'd still get the blessings, but they wouldn't have your presence. Moses said, how are the people of the world going to know that we are any different than any other people of the world if your presence does not go with us? So, Lord, we welcome your presence in this house. We do not want to go anywhere in this world without your presence. Because we don't just love your blessings, we love you. Amen. Well, I get the joy of in the rotation of teaching, as we're going through the book of Acts, chronologically, theme by theme, um, by the luck of the draw, mine gets to land on God killing people. So let's read that, and then we are going to get into it. You ready? Acts chapter 5. Here we go. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is great. Reading this right after the offering. (laughs) But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? When it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. You turn my mic down just a little bit because I might start getting excited. No, I don't want to. And the young men arose. And wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Whew! That's one heck of a church service right there. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Does my, does my voice work back there? You guys still got it? Okay, great. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look. The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them. I want you to really catch these next couple verses. Yet none of the rest dared to join them, but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord in multitudes, both men and women. So you see a reaction to God's activity here. Some drew away. And others drew near. And the ones who drew near, watch this. So they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were healed. Whenever God shows up, people have two reactions, draw away 
or draw near. That reaction is the proof of what's going on in your heart toward God. When everything is innocuous, when God's really not that present, we can just go along with our lives and it's no big deal. And we have all sorts of sin and ungodly attitudes and behaviors in our lives that go unchecked. But when God comes near, all these things are exposed and you will react in one of two ways. You will either be afraid and depart from God's presence or you will fear the Lord and a healthy fear of the Lord and you will actually draw into him. Today I'm going to take on probably one of the, if not the most difficult topics in the entire Bible. And it's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament. It is the fear of the Lord. There has been a lot of teaching in the body of Christ over the last three or four decades that are absent of the fear of the Lord. In fact, it's indicative by when we read something like this in Acts chapter 5, when we ask the questions like, how could a loving God do something like that? Or when we are in the age of grace, where God forgives us of all of our sins, how could that happen in the age of grace? Those questions reveal that we have a theology that is absent of the fear of the Lord. Because he did it. And you can't make it say something other than what it actually says. And so, as a teacher... Of the Bible, when you come up against something like this, you can either fear the people and say, oh, I can't teach on this because people won't like it, and then they will draw away. Or you can come to it and say, well, I believe God's good. And I'm called to, call, to feed God's sheep. And so I am going to teach the Word of God with integrity and let the truth hit all of us, and then the results are on us. And what I know about the fear of the Lord and the teaching on the fear of the Lord, is not only is it cover to cover, but it is one of the most life-giving, empowering messages that you will ever hear in your entire life. And if you will listen to and understand this message on the fear of the Lord, it will have such radical impact on your personal life and in your walk with the Lord that you will thank God, that you were taught this message. So I want to ask you to please give me your full attention. I'm going to do my best as I can to lay this truth into your life. I've, as going through my notes, I realized I was going to try to rush through this to try to fit it into one Sunday as we're trying to make our way through the book of Acts. But I think I would do a huge disservice to you and to this topic if I try to cram this into one Sunday. So I'm probably going to go over the next couple of Sundays. But, but here's the problem with trying to, here's the problem with missing next Sunday. And that's not just manipulation to get you to come back. You can listen to it online if you can't make it. If I jump to the application points of the fear of the Lord in your life, like submission to authority or obeying your parents or tithing or staying away from sin and that kind of stuff. If I just jump to the application points, it just sounds like a bunch of rules and regulations and it creates conflict. That's surface level fruit. I've got to deal with the root first, a foundation of the theology of the fear of the Lord. Then all this other stuff takes care of itself. It will all make sense why to obey your parents, why not to criticize the president, why to obey your boss, why to treat your employees with respect, why to stay away from sin, why to tithe. All these behaviors all make sense. If you understand the root that they spring from. And the root is the fear of the Lord. A healthy sense of the fear of the Lord. I remember this uh, story about the second grade school teacher that asked the kids to draw something. Whatever they want on a piece of paper at their desk. So she's walking around the class. And she's looking at all these things. Butterfly over here and a tree over there. And and, a little frog over here. And then. She goes, well, what are you drawing, dear? And she says, I'm drawing God. And she says, sweetheart, nobody knows what God looks like. 
And she says, they're going to in a minute. (laughs) I personally believe that the teaching on what I would call hyper grace, the unconditional love of God, has been at the expense of the fear of the Lord. And so I, I do not believe we are being taught the full picture of God. And when you have half a picture of someone, you cannot walk successfully with them. So the church used to be the most influential shaping force in society. Today, the church is mocked. Believers used to be the most bold people in society. Today, believers are afraid and intimidated by their peers and by our culture. And I believe it is because of the absence of the teaching on the fear of the Lord. You cannot fear God and fear man at the same time. You will serve who you fear. If you fear your peers, you will serve them and you will change who you are to fit in. If you fear people, you will be afraid of their opinions and so you will change what you're saying and how you're behaving so that they are pleased with you. But guess who's not pleased with you if you allow that to take you off track and end up in places and with faces you should never be. It displeases the Lord. And yet if you fear the Lord, you can stand in the face of anybody and anything and obey God. Because you know when it's all said and done, God's will is what endures forever. Can I hear an amen? So my goal is through preaching and through the Holy Spirit, for the spirit of the fear of the Lord and the revelation of the fear of the Lord to permeate deep down into your souls and establish you as a strong believer and a a crooked and perverse generation is what Peter called uh, the the generation he lived in. And boy, ours isn't any better. So, are we all ready? You ready to go? Okay, here's the first question. What is the fear of the Lord? Here's what Proverbs 3, 7 says. Now, I have a lot of content in a very short time, so you're just going to have to move quickly with me. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. I've been saying this out loud to myself all week long. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. Will you say that with me? The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. Say it again. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. One more time. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. So every time you see evil, sinfulness, ungodly attitudes, you recognize it and you have a choice. If I participate in that, I am not operating in the fear of the Lord. I'm disrespecting and dishonoring God. If I do say, I'm not going to be a part of that, and you turn away from it, you just honor the Lord. And the Bible says, God says this, I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who lightly esteem me. So it's a choice every day of your life. So let me ask you this question. How much fear of the Lord do you think is in the earth today? Like, say, say a scale of zero to ten. How much of the fear of the Lord, let's just say our country, how much of the fear of the Lord on a scale of 1 to 10 do you believe is operating in our society today? Just shout out a number. Two, one, three, very optimistic. Anybody? (laughs) Okay. As we teach on the fear of the Lord, and you've got to apply this to your personal life as well, because you as an individual are responsible before God to live your life in the fear of the Lord. And the consequences are going to be your personal consequences. But a nation also is called to walk in the fear of the Lord. A church is called to walk in the fear of the Lord. A family is called to walk in the fear of the Lord. And there are going to be consequences for good or for bad, depending on whether you're walking in the fear of the Lord or not. So let me ask you this. This is why when I watch these presidential debates and I look at the politics and all that, and we think if we put the right person in the office, everything's going to be great. Sorry. 
Because if it's true that your little litmus test we just took, that, the, that, that our nation as a whole, our education system, what our kids are being taught, what's being taught from the pulpit, how the president is leading the country, the music that is produced, the movies that are produced. I mean, when you look across the gamut of, uh, of the um, commerce, the business sector, the greed, the injustices, the court systems, you look across the seven mountains of society, and if you're, and if you're right, that the fear of the Lord is at about a one or two or at most a three, is there any wonder that our nation is in the condition it's in right now? Because the Lord doesn't change. But it can turn around beginning with you. And even if nobody else is going to walk in the fear of the Lord, I am. I believe what I'm teaching today. I've been, I've lived a life without the fear of the Lord and lived a life with the fear of the Lord. I understand this. And I thank God I landed on this chapter as my teaching turn. Because I wanted to get into it again. And it purges me and it cleanses me and it strengthens me and it draws me nearer to God. I've been drawn nearer to God this week than I have in a long time because of this. And I want you to, too. We may not be able to fix the world, but, boy, we have a chance to fix our own lives. Amen? All right. Whether you live in the fear of the Lord or not is revealed by how you're living your life right now. Are you going by what you think is right or by what God thinks is right? See, the fear of the Lord is to do what God wants you to do, even when it looks more advantageous for you to do it your own way. I'm going to say that again. The fear of the Lord is to do what God wants you to do, even when it looks more advantageous to do it your own way. I really want you to grab a hold of this family. It's like the time that I borrowed my son's BMX bike. And me and my other kids and my nephew Joshua, he's a grown man, and his kids, we all went over to behind Ramona High School where there's some paths that have been uh, you know, blazed out and, and some uh, uh, ditches that have been dug. And the kids go back there and they do their jumps and stuff. I've never jumped a BMX in my life. And I'm riding my son's BMX. You know, here's an old man on a teenager's BMX. But, you know, it's really weird as you get older, your, your, your brain doesn't know you're older. You're, only your body does. <laughs> and so every once in a while your brain convinces you you can do still do something your body can't and so we look at a golf like this right this this path coming up to like this this pit and then it's like about the same amount of drop and i'm thinking that's not a big deal my brain's telling me it's not a big deal you can actually catch us on facebook if you went to my pages because my nephew decided is he really going to do this because if he is, it is, it is video worthy whether he makes it or not. <laughs> so he caught it on video and it's on Facebook. I'm thinking, I look at that and my brain says, that's not a big deal. It's just about four foot drop. I mean, you know, whatever. Even if you crashed. And so I back up and Lily, who's on the front row, you can hear her on the video as I'm, you know, pedaling really fast. So she says, you're the only dad I have. Out of the mouth of babes and infants. I'm coming up to that thing. I got it, man. I sailed through the air. Boom, I nailed it. And I'm looking at the next jump that's coming up. And the next thing I know, you know those little stars? They are real. And they go around your head like this. And they, and they chirp like little birds. I don't know what happened. I got up, and you can see it on the film. I got the, I won't waste your time by showing it. I thought about showing it to you today, but it's irrelevant. A big goose egg, like a tennis ball-sized goose egg on my, on my forehead. Man, I was like, what in the world happened? You know what happened? The law of gravity. <laughs> and the law of stupidity. There are natural laws that you cannot defy in life. We all know that, right? That was the law of gravity. 
That was also the law of aerodynamics. You can't escape natural laws. We can suspend them like in an airplane, but when you run out of gas, the gravity is going to win. Here's something we do not understand, family of God and the human race. There are natural, I mean, there are spiritual laws you cannot break. And when you press against the spiritual laws, like resisting authority, you press against that long enough and it will break you. Because God put all authority in the earth. It's a spiritual law. It's the way he's designed the world. When you, go, when you go all the way back, now there are some big fat thoughts that I've got to just lay in here, which I don't want to rush through. That's the reason I'm, I'm, I set it up the way I did to let you know that I cannot just rush through this because this is so integral to your life. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God is the one who set up the whole world. He set up the natural laws and he set up the spiritual laws. And none of them can be broken. I mean, you can't break them not like you shouldn't you can't they work against you or for you like electricity electricity you grab a hold of electricity that's raw you know you are fried yet if you harness electricity and respect it it blesses your household right you can go through all these different laws and talk about how they work in the garden of eden god set up spiritual laws Divine order. Everybody say divine order. That, that's, the, that's, that's the big deal. Divine order is the big deal. Whether it's divine order in a home, divine order in a business, divine order in the government, divine order in a church, divine order between you and your walk with the Lord. Divine order is a spiritual law you cannot escape. It will bless you or it will curse you. So Adam and Eve are in divine order. God sets up all the garden just for them. Out of, out of his goodness, he creates the garden. He creates, creates Adam and Eve, and he creates divine order. Man and woman are superior over God's creation. They are not animals. They are human beings made in the image of God. They rule and reign over God's creation. And then God is superior over man and woman, and he gives them delegated authority that will then flow through their children, and they, therefore, are expanding the kingdom of God throughout the world. They get to name all the animals. God didn't name the animals. Adam and Eve did, right? So they are operating in God's divine order. Satan, the spirit of rebellion, the deceiver, his name is, knows that if he can disrupt the divine order between God and Adam and Eve, he can bring chaos and pain into the garden, into Adam and Eve's lives. And we all know the story. He entices them, tricks them, lies to them, and draws them out from underneath God's divine order. Remember the scripture we read that says, the fear of the Lord, it's, the, the scripture says, do not be impressed with your own wisdom, what you think is right. Don't be impressed with that. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Well, what does that mean? That means... When you're in a situation like Adam and Eve, where God says, don't eat of that tree. I'm just, I, I'm in charge. You can eat of all these other trees, just don't eat of that one. That's divine order. It's a choice. God gave a choice on purpose so you have the free will to either fear the Lord or to fear, your, uh, 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 fear someone else or to um, live independently from him. That's the choice. Divine order, God gets to set the rules or I get to set the rules. And so Adam and Eve have this choice. Satan comes in and he entices them with his theology, his doctrine, his, his uh, educational content, whatever he's using to inject into them new information that is contrary to God's divine order. And he says, oh, let me tell you the truth. God says this, but here's the truth. What's he trying to get them to do? He's trying to get them to not fear the Lord, respect and honor God, which means I obey him. I do what he says. That's humility. He's trying to get them to operate in pride and my wisdom. Well, this is how I think it ought to be. This is what I think is right. I have opinions too. It's like, well, you better check yourself before you 
See, it's not all about, well, who gets to be in charge? How come you get to be in charge? It's like, well, it's just the way it is. The Bible says all authority is from God. I want you to say something with me that I pray goes deep down inside your soul. When I touch authority, say this. When I touch authority, I'm touching God. That's why you see in Acts chapter 5, Peter, a man, a fisherman, who was also a pastor of a church, said, you have not lied to man, you've lied to God. Whew. Mufasa. That's some that's serious. That sounds arrogant, doesn't it? Peter. You know, Ananias lies to Peter, and Peter says, you haven't lied to man, you've lied to God. I'm like, whoa, that's kind of heady, isn't it? No, he's talking about divine order. You think that you could come in here, Peter says, so flippantly in the midst of a move of Almighty God. And because you care more about your reputation than you do about God, that you can come right into church and you can lie and think that somehow there's no consequences to that. That's that's all right. You say, why would God do that? Because God is protecting the nature of his church as it is influencing society at a level that was unprecedented to where so much of our commerce, our art, our education, uh, every sphere of society was influenced by the church. God knowing that his church is the vehicle through which his wisdom, his power, his love, his knowledge, his glory is what that is. The fullness of God flowing through his spiritual community as you go, doctors and nurses and janitors and educators and lawyers and government officials and moms. And as you go out of here into society, you're carrying The glory of God with you, the wisdom of God, the peace of God, the presence of God, the knowledge of God. You're carrying that. You're the salt and light of the earth. And if God allows hypocrisy in his church, that little leaven permeates throughout his body and it it cripples and changes and pollutes the nature of his bride, his church, who is supposed to be the light of the world. So as as this birth of the church and this glory of God is exploding in the church as you're reading the book of Acts, for him to allow that foulness into his church would ruin everything. The church had become known as a people of hypocrisy, liars, cheaters. Oh, wait a minute. Who am I talking about right now? You see, because God would not allow... That sin to be, to, to, to tolerate that in his church at that time, it says the people feared. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, we go to these revival meetings. You go to meetings where there's signs, miracles, and wonders in the presence of God, and people are laughing, and people are crying. I've been in them. I've led them. I love them. Gosh, I don't, have, I don't have enough time to teach on all of these things, but let me touch on this. As the glory of God increases in a place like what I just said, where you've got God's presence is getting heavier, miracles are more profound, these kind of things, the more accountability there is because we're a lot closer to his manifest presence. See, that's why when we wonder, well, where is God? That is why we can have the church in the condition it is today where many of us are just in unrepentant sin. I mean, like, how would you like to have all your sins from this past week right now displayed upon the screen for all to see? Exactly. (laughs) Eggs. Out of the mouth of babes and infants. Even a one-year-old knows to scream, no! That was perfect. Our leaders that represent the body of Christ and adultery and greed and thievery and these things. And, and, and nothing seems to happen. And we wonder, 
why would God just blink at these things? It all depends on the level of his glory. It's a cause and effect. As his presence increases, these things get judged more quickly and more harshly to protect the move of God. And yet when we don't respond in repentance, the glory decreases and we can get away with all sorts of C-A-R-I-P and doesn't seem to be any consequences. C-R-A-P. I spelled it the way they pronounce it in the South. Okay, it has more than, they, every, every word with one syllable gets two or three in the South. So that's the reason I spelled it that way. So we get Adam and Eve that are experiencing the fullness of God's presence in the Garden of Eden. When they decided, this is not what I think ought to be done in this situation. And God's saying, that's not what I said. Yeah, but that's what I want to do. They were in the fullness of God's presence. And so when they acted that way and they disconnected from the authority, immediately judgment came and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and they lived under a curse. So then God comes, then God, uh, comes to uh, – let me back this up for a second. The divine order in the Garden of Eden – was all established by the word of the Lord. That's why this is so critical in your life. This is, this is where you find what divine order. What's the definition of divine order? Every, every subject of your life is found in this book and what God has to say about it. And, and all of this will give you the wisdom to live your life in divine order and thus the blessings of the Lord. That's why you have this. So God speaks his word into the earth, into Adam and Eve, into the Garden of Eden and says, here's my word. So Satan comes along and says, did God... Say it a lot. Did God say, is God's word to you, Adam and Eve, this? Well, let me tell you what he really means. Let me tell you what's wiser than that, what's smarter than that. And he injects information into you to try to get you to think that your way is smarter than God's way. He does that to you all day long, every day of your life. That's why this book has got to literally, you've got to saturate your brain in God's words. Because then you know you can recognize Satan. You can recognize foolishness. You can recognize bad teaching. You say, that doesn't line up with the words of my father. The fear of the Lord is not to think, be impressed with your own wisdom, but to depart from evil. For those of you in school, the Bible says, do not be deceived by the philosophies of men. It corrupts your mind. It changes your thinking toward things. You get this information being taught to you from authority figures. You're like, oh, wow, is that true? You better go back to the Bible and say, does it line up with the word of my father? Because you're trying to trick me to get outside of divine order. And that's going to bring judgment and chaos in my life. No, thank you. That's why when they told uh, Peter and John, don't ever preach in the name of Jesus again. This is what the authorities said to James and John. When they were out preaching Jesus in Jerusalem. And Peter said, uh, we are going to obey God, not you. The only time that you can disobey authority is when authority is telling you to do something that's contrary to the word of God. Otherwise, you always submit to authority. Because when you touch authority, you touch God. Even if the authority is corrupt, you still submit to the authority. And God will take care of the authority. Well, he will improve them or remove them. He's done it so many times in my life. I literally could stand here all day and tell you about how I've submitted to authority that I did not trust and was not trustworthy. And yet, because I submitted to the authority, because I knew by submitting to authority, I'm submitting to God, God removed the authority. Point back to the Garden of Eden. God spoke divine order through his word. Satan got them to believe that their wisdom was greater than God's wisdom and the divine order was was interrupted and they were cursed. God goes to um, Abraham. No, he goes to Moses in the desert and says, build this tent that will be church. Build this tent and this is how I want you to do it. So he gave Moses the exact instructions on how to build this tabernacle, a tent, they called it, so people could come in to worship. He built it just the way God said. 
And so they did it the way God said. And when they, when they built it the way God said, God's presence came into it. And I'm going to jump to something here that's going to shock you. So when the pastor's sons, who were supposed to be working in the church and taking care of the offerings and stuff, were having sex with the women, the intercessors who would come at church to pray, and they were stealing the offerings, and they decided, oh, you know what, we're going to take some of this fire that we're supposed to use on the altar to do the sacrifices, and we're going to mix some of this other stuff into it, this other kind of incense. We're going to make it kind of cool. And they did things outside of God's divine order, which, by the way, and you can put this up if you want. It's a slide up there about um, um, the opposite of the fear of the Lord. And when it says that these... These uh, the sons of the priest put their own fire on the altar, not the fire of the Lord. They did it their own way that they thought was right, and they're they're just literally living in sin, stealing the offering, not doing the offering right. Strange fire is what it's called. That word there means profane. The opposite of the fear of the Lord is profanity or profane. And when they did that, when they when they offer profane fire or strange fire upon the altar of God, when they broke divine order and decided that they were just going to treat God flippantly, be irreverent with him, God killed them. And when Aaron, their dad, wanted to say something, the Lord spoke up and the Lord said this. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, but those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. So God tells Moses exactly how to build this tent and how to approach his presence. Listen, it's not because God is mean. It's not because God is vindictive. It's because God is holy. His nature is pure and clean and right. It's an amazing thing that Moses went right into the presence of God while others came, uh, ran from his presence. I want you to see this passage. It is just so profound. I want you to go to uh, up there on the, uh, Chris, if you go to Exodus 20, 18 through 21. I want you to see what I'm talking about here because I know it's getting... A little bit intense, but it ought to. It's really important that it does get a little intense. Because the fear of the Lord cleanses us from foolishness. The fear of the Lord cleanses us from pride. The fear of the Lord cleanses us from sin and arrogance and rebellion. And it gets us right with God and we experience his presence and his blessings again. His peace and contentment in our souls gives us boldness and courage this is incredible this is that you know when god is visiting moses this is like one of the most foundational texts out of this entire teaching so i want you to i want you to really give attention to this this explains the difference between being afraid of god and the fear of the lord the two completely different things Now, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpets, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. This is God, God coming down from Mount Sinai. And he's, and he's, he's, he's delivered his people from Egypt. He set them free from 450 years of bondage and slavery, brings them out into the desert. You know, Moses with the Ten Commandments and and the splitting of the Red Sea and the drowning of the Egyptian army. God delivered his people because he wants to be with them. And they're like, wow, our God's awesome. And God says, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come down in three days and let's talk. They said, okay. Three days later, here comes God. The mountains tremble. Well, he's not doing that. It's not pyrotechnics. He's not faking it. He's not doing what we do and dim the lights and the light the lights to kind of create an atmosphere. He's God. He's just coming to the party. He's just being normal. 
And they are like, When's the last time you went, at God? If it's been a while, that's an absence of the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord comes when God reveals himself to us, when the word of God is preached, when his presence comes in our lives. That's, that's, that's God revealing himself to us so that we can fear him, not be afraid of him. Look at the difference here. Watch this. Let's move to the next script. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let, don't let God speak with us lest we die. They understood his presence was so powerful that it would, they felt they were trembling in his presence. But look at what Moses says. And Moses said to the people, I'm going to sit down so you can see that instead of my head. Do not fear. Everybody say that. Do not fear. Are you kidding me? What? I mean, did you read the verse before? The lightnings, the thunders, the shaking in the mountain, the smoke. Can you imagine? And Moses says, don't be afraid. Seriously? Don't be afraid. For God has come to test you. And that his fear may be before you. What? That sounds so contradict. That sounds... What? God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so you may not sin. What does this mean? When God comes to you with his word being preached like today, and he confronts you with your pride or your sin, or he reveals his manifest presence like one time, I was at this meeting in Dallas, Texas. No, Tulsa, Oklahoma. 3,000 pastors there, and we're talking about guys at the top of the food chain. I'm talking about the biggest names in Christianity are there. And I'm just this associate pastor that got invited along by my senior pastor because I'm a young buck, early 20s, you know, a, a rising star. And so I'm lucky to be there. I'm on the second row, center aisle right there, uh, second row right there. And this minister comes up who's known all over the world for his for, for his closeness to the Lord, and he starts to worship. And I'm sitting there, you know, feeling, yeah, man, look at me, second row, center aisle. I'm up and coming. Yeah. And all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows me Jesus walking through Jerusalem. I mean, it was like a movie in my mind, but my eyes were open. It was an open-eyed vision. I just saw Jesus walking through Jerusalem with these crowds of people following him, and the, his glory was trailing him. And it, the vision lasted this long. I slid off my chair onto the floor and wept for two hours. I was grabbing a hold of the sleeve of the guy in front of me. He was a friend of mine. He's a preacher. And I'm grabbing a hold of his sleeve for two reasons. One, I didn't want to slide onto the floor because this was on national television. And secondly, because I was afraid to be alone with God. And after about ten minutes, he finally rips his, his sleeve out of my hands because he wanted to worship. And I was holding him down like this. And everybody stood. The presence of God came, but I was on the floor. I got a glimpse of Jesus, and it just undid me. At the end of the meeting, my pastor came to me, and he invited me to go out to dinner with Oral Roberts and a number of other guys. I could uh, tell you their names, which is an open door of opportunity into ministry at a level that, because, you know, they can open up doors for you. I said, I don't want to. I'm going to go back to my hotel room. And he looked at me like, are you an idiot? Did I hire an idiot? He didn't say that. But I can imagine what he's thinking, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to introduce you to some people who can give you a platform in ministry for the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying. I wanted to be alone with God. I wanted to draw near to him. Even though his glory overwhelmed me and it revealed my pride, my sinfulness, my irreverence to the things of God. 
It caused me to want to be alone in his presence. It cleansed me. It washed me. It set everything in me in divine order. Woo! Sometimes you're so prideful and you don't even, you're not even touch with it. The presence of the Lord changes that. I woke up the next morning. My best friend from high school lived in Tulsa. He wasn't saved. He asked me if I want to go grab lunch before I go to the airplane. I said yes. We get to the, to the restaurant. We're sitting at the table. The waitress comes up and asks him what salad dressing he wants on his salad. And he told him ranch. And then she said, what salad dressing would you like? I looked up at her, and all of a sudden, the joy of the Lord so filled my heart that I just began laughing. And I laughed for three days. I couldn't even order. My friend got so irritated with me, finally he left. I couldn't even talk to him without laughing. I, I was on the airplane, and the stewardess asked me what I wanted to eat, and I just started laughing, and I couldn't stop laughing, so she didn't give me any food. I laughed, and I laughed, and I laughed. I went to, I was a youth pastor. I went back to church, and I just started talking about these things I'm talking to you about, and by the end of the service, all the kids were on their face, and the presence of God came, and the parents came to pick them up. And they were looking through the windows and waiting and waiting and waiting. But the glory of the Lord was so strong. You see, I drew near because I trust God. Because I know He's good. I know His ways are right. I entered into, look what the next verse says, what Moses said. Moses said, do not fear. God has come to test you that His fear may be before you so that you may not sin. In other words, when the presence of God comes to you through his priest word or through his presence or what it might be, it's coming. He's not testing you so he can see what's in your heart. He's testing you so you can know what's in your heart. So you can go, oh my gosh, I've been arrogant. Or, man, I've been sinning, and I've been comfortable with sin, and I didn't even realize how flippant I am with sin and irreverent I've become. God, forgive me. See, that's, that's a gift. That his fear may be before you so that you may not sin, because sin will destroy your life. And God loves you too much to allow you to be comfortable in your irreverence and pride and sin. I love the fear of the Lord. How can Moses just walk? Look at the next verse. It says, so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. How could he do that? I want you to see this next verse. I'm going to have to bring this to a close because I've used up our time. And I've preached... One and a half pages out of five on the fear of the Lord. Look at Exodus thirty-three, eighteen. This is really important you grab a hold of this because the things I'm teaching right now are pretty intense about who God is. I want you to see something. It's critical for you. To be able to endure the fear of the Lord, you need to understand his goodness. It says, Then Moses said, Now please show me your glory, the weightiness of your presence. Moses said, I've been walking with you. I want to see you, God. The Lord answered, I will cause all of my, say it out loud, goodness. Isn't that amazing? Moses says, I want to see you. I'm tired of all the smoke and lightning and stuff, clouds. And I want to see you, God. Because God's always cloaking himself because he's so glorious. He told him at one time, you can't look upon me or you will die. I'm God. I'm too potent for your human flesh. And finally Moses says, I don't care. I want to see you. God loves that. And God says, okay, I will cause the definition of his glory, all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will announce my name. The Lord, so you can hear it. And I will show my kindness to anyone to whom I want to show kindness. And I will show mercy to anyone I want to show mercy. In other words, God says, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm God. I'm good. 
not to be afraid of me. But you do need to fear and reverence me. You notice here he says, I will announce my name. I want to make this as practical as I can for you so you can walk in it. I was watching the... uh, some town home meetings with you know the presidential debate debate and there were these town home meetings and they had a focus group sitting here like you and the the MC goes over here and he says I now present to you the senator from Texas and announces the person's name and the senator comes walking in like this nobody goes and they all stand up, and he walks in like this and begins to dress. Then, after he was done, he says, I now present to you the senator from... And everybody starts clapping, and the senator walks in like this. Okay, let me just bring it home. Sunday mornings, Josh gets up there to lead worship, basically saying, I now present to you Almighty God. And we're like, oh. The offerings taken, well, 10% of the body tithes, 10% of the body of Christ. The Bible actually says, God says, God says in Malachi, they that fear me tithe, they that don't fear me don't. He said it, I didn't. It's kind of flippant, kind of irreverent. Mm, I don't know this is going to be a, uh. okay. What if, what if a movie star, what if, Carrie Underwood. What if the top ten of American Idol came walking through that door right now? What if your candidate came walking through that door right now? What if LeBron James or Steph Curry came walking through that door right now? What if Bill Gates came walking through that door right now? How would you respond? Really, think about it. How would you respond? You'd wake up, wouldn't you? You're, you're, I mean, you would just, and what if you, what if you got audience with them? What if they came in here and they allowed you to have one-on-one time with them? You'd be asking them all sorts of questions. You'd want to get your picture taken with them, do a bunch of selfies, am I right? You'd be doing that, right? Okay, what if they came back next week and the same thing? And, and what about next week? What about the next week? And what if they came the next week? And what if they came the next week? And you went out to lunch and you talked to them and all that. And what if they came back the next week? And then what if they came back for the next five years? And what if the same people came back for the next ten years? After a while, it just becomes common, doesn't it? It just becomes normal. It becomes average. That's what happened to Eli's sons in church. Profane means to call things common that God calls holy and really important. And when we begin to treat the things of God as common, we dishonor him. And his presence dissipates. We begin to call things that are unholy, holy and fun. We begin to profane and dishonor the things of the Lord. We don't hide them, hold them in high regard. We are not operating in the fear of the Lord. So I'm going to close today with the benefits of the fear of the Lord. And then we're going to pray and give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to touch our hearts And ask for the fear of the Lord to come upon us today. I'm going to say something to you that um, I'm I'm going to encourage you in this. I want to continue this next Sunday. And you're going to have to ask yourself this question. Because this is testing your hearts. It's not God seeing what's in your heart. It's you revealing what's in your own heart next week you could say i don't want to come back for part two of this in the mountain 
when God revealed himself, many drew away. In the book of Acts, when the presence of God was revealed and God killed a couple of people, it says people drew away. But it also says Moses drew near, and it also says multitudes got saved and came to the Lord. There's a drawing away or there's a drawing in. My daughter, uh, Ava, one time, I was really angry. Parents, you ever gotten angry at home before? Just raise your hands if, it's, if, if, if you have. Okay. Got really angry. Really. And so I'm like, you know, I've got like smoke coming out of my nostrils, right? And out of my ears. You ever seen those cartoon characters where they're blowing smoke out of ears and nostrils? I'm like, oh, I'm just feeling, I'm just really upset, right? And when dads, dads are already kind of intense because dads are dads, right? They're just powerful and they're just, the creative makeup of a dad is just kind of like dad's dad, you know? But when dad's angry, nobody wants to be within a 15-mile radius of dad when he's angry. And I'm in this angry state, right? And my little Ava, she was about seven years old at the time. She walks across the room and comes right up inside me and just hugs me and puts her head on my tummy. And I'm thinking, well, that's not fair. (laughs) That's just wrong. I want to be angry. And I thought, where did she get the courage to walk right into the dark cloud like Moses and God? Because she knows I love her. She knows I only want good for her. She's not afraid of me. But she does have respect and reverence for me as her father, as she ought. God wants you to walk into the dark cloud today. He wants you to walk right up into him no matter what. No matter what your sin, no matter what your pride, no matter what it is, come to him and let him cleanse you and free you from the filth of this world. So that you can experience presence. I'll give you the benefits of the fear of the Lord next week. (laughs) Let's all stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Here's what I want to. Here's what I want to coach you to do today. Oh wait a minute! I'll let you go first. I shouldn't dish my brother. Well, I love what you're doing on that stand-up bass. That is so cool. Okay, here, here's, what I, here's what I think we ought to do. We all, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have our areas and issues where we are out of order. It could just be sins of the flesh. We've gotten into pornography. You've gotten into uh, sexual impurity. Sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you're married. It's called fornication. Uh, It could be cheating on your taxes. It could be criticizing leadership. It could be disrespecting your husband. It could be dishonoring your wife. It could be being too harsh with your kids. It could be uh, not respecting and honoring your parents. I mean, we all live broken. We all sin. And the Lord is good. Repentance takes care of all of it like that. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any sin we will ever commit. So, I think I've preached enough, hopefully, listen now, hopefully, to convict your heart, which is a gift. Because if your heart is convicted by some of the things that were said today through God's Word, it gives you an opportunity to feel that conviction It reveals your heart to yourself and you say, like that baby did. Ah! And then you can say, Father, I see it. 
And I'm walking right into the dark cloud. And I'm asking you to cleanse me and forgive me and empower me to live a freer life, a more peaceful life submitted to your authority. That's what conviction does. It's a gift. Or you're standing there today and your heart is getting harder. Because you don't want to give up control. I'm going to tell you something out of with all affection I say to you, you're going to harden yourself until you break. Because God's not going to change and he loves you too much to let you live in that kind of rebellion. And the devil will eat your lunch and God's trying to protect you. So, would you be courageous enough to enter the cloud with me this morning? And would you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you attitudes in your own heart and mind, sins in your life that you've gotten flippant with and you've kind of like, eh, commonplace, and allow the Holy Spirit to bring these up to you, and would you confess them to the Lord right there where you are? And would you repent and turn from them? And then ask the Lord to fill you with the spirit of the fear of the Lord once again. Let's go to Him together. Lord, we come right up into the dark cloud like Ava came to me when I was all angry and blowing smoke. We come to you today, Father, and we want to ask, first of all, that you forgive us for our allowing familiarity with you to breed contempt. And I ask right now that you would convict every heart of areas in their life where they are out of divine order. Let me change that. Lord, I ask now that you would convict us of every area of our lives where we are out of divine order with you. So that we can confess these to you right now in your presence. Just right now, allow the Holy Spirit to show you places in your life that are out of order and you know it. Let him show them to you. Don't be afraid. Enter the cloud. show of hands of those that are saying, oh, I've got my area. Just raise your hand. I've got my area. See? Everyone. Everyone. See? I want to say to you right now, there is hope because our God is more powerful than whatever just came up in your heart. He loves you more deeply than whatever came up in your heart. And this is a message of hope, not a message of condemnation. So right now, would you say to him, forgive me. Forgive me, Father, for dishonoring you in this way. And now repent. That means turn around. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. Right now, depart from that evil. Say, I'm done with that. Turn around, whatever that is, and depart from it. Repent in your heart. I am repenting from that evil. Now, I want to ask you to do this one last thing, which is really, really important. The Bible says the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Not the teaching of the fear of the Lord. The spirit of the fear of the Lord rested upon Jesus. And his delight was in the fear of the Lord. (laughs) Let's ask for the spirit of the fear of the Lord to rest upon us right now. You've got to do this for you. You've got to do this for you. Just ask Him. Say, Lord, the same spirit of the fear of the Lord that rested upon Jesus, I'm asking that same spirit of the fear of the Lord to rest upon me. If Jesus needed it, I need it. Go ahead and do it. Say, the same spirit of the fear of the Lord that rested upon Jesus. Father, I'm now asking that the same spirit of the fear of the Lord rest upon me so I can walk in the fear of the Lord.
here's what I know. Besides the fact that I've gone way too long. Here's what I know. I could read you the 15 scriptures of the benefits of walking in the fear of the Lord. I don't have time. Here's what I know. If you truly repented of some things that were displeasing to the Lord just now, you are going to begin experiencing the scriptures I could read to you. You're going to begin experiencing them this week. There's going to be some breakthroughs for you. There's going to be some reconciliation of relationships. There's going to be some healing of your physical bodies. There's going to be some financial breakthroughs. They're all scriptures that relate to the fear of the Lord. Next week, we'll open up with me reading you about the benefits of the fear of the Lord. But I know you're going to be experiencing them this week before you ever hear about them from this pulpit. Can I hear it? Amen. Amen. Thank you for loving the truth. I love you. God bless you. Go ahead, Church.